0: G'day, welcome to God's Word Today's World, applying scripture to modern life. My name is Dan Van Werkoven. I'm an Aussie writer and pastor living with my wife on a tiny island called Saipan. Join me today as I dig into scripture and explore how God's word can still be applied to our lives thousands of years later. Hey, you're listening to episode 19 of the God's Word Today's World podcast. I apologize for the roughness in my voice. I am currently getting over a cold at the moment, but um, still wanted to make sure to get this done. And I know this episode is a couple of days late. On top of the cold had some things that came up over the weekend that I really needed to attend to, but... After this week, we'll be back on schedule. I'm already recording next week's episode today, so that will be scheduled and ready to go go for Monday morning as usual. So in today's episode, we're looking at what kind of a faith to have as believers, and we're looking at how that applies when we read God's Word, the Bible If you want access to the show notes and the full transcript, you can find those over at www.GodsWordTodaysWorld.com forward slash listen and look for episode 19 on the list. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. But without further ado, let's dig in. Last week in episode 18 of the God's Word Today's World podcast, we looked at an amazing story of what the Holy Spirit did through Peter. He healed a paralyzed man and raised a woman from the dead. But so often when we read the Bible, we just read the words and the reality of what is happening doesn't always sink in. I challenge us to really spend time on a passage this last week, to read and reread to dwell on the amazing things that happen in Scripture, to really consider God's incredible power and the fact that the Holy Spirit we see at work in the Bible is still just as powerful today, and I believe still just as active. This week we're looking at the incredible faith of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. This man can teach us a lot about the kind of faith that God loves. Our passage today is Acts chapter 10, and this is in the World English Bible. Now there was a certain man in Caesarea, Cornelius by name, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his house, who gave gifts for the needy generously to people, and always prayed to God. At about the ninth hour of the day he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius. He, fastening his eyes on him and being frightened, said, What is it, Lord? He said to him, Your prayers and your gifts to the needy have gone up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and get Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of those who waited on him continually. Having explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now on the next day, as they were on their journey and got close to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray at about noon. He became hungry and desired to eat, but while they were preparing, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and a certain container descending to him, like a great sheet let down by four corners on the earth, in which were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild animals, reptiles, and birds of the sky. A voice said to him, "'Rise, Peter, kill, and eat.' But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. A voice came to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call unclean. This was done three times, and immediately the thing was received up into heaven. Now while Peter was very perplexed in himself what the vision which he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood before the gate, and called and asked whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering this vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men seek you, but arise, get down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am whom you seek. Why have you come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous man and one who fears God and well spoken of by all the nation of the Jews, was directed by a holy angel to invite you to his house and to listen to what you say. So he called them in and had a place and provided a place to stay. On the next day, Peter arose and went out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. On the next day, they entered into Caesarea. Cornelius was waiting for them, having called together his relatives and his near friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up! I myself am also a man. As he talked with him, he went in and found many gathered together. He said to them, You yourselves know how it is an unlawful thing for a man who is a Jew to join himself or come to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call any man unholy or unclean. Therefore, I also came without complaint when I was sent for. I asked therefore, why did you send for me? Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard and your gifts to the needy are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and summon Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying in the house of a tanner named Simon by the seaside. When he comes, he will speak to you. Therefore I sent to you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now therefore we are all here present in the sight of God to hear all things that have been commanded to you by God. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I perceive that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation he who fears him and works righteousness is acceptable to him. The word which he sent to the children of Israel, preaching good news of peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to everything he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they also killed, hanging him on a tree. God raised him up on the third day and gave him to be revealed, not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen before by God to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that this is he who is, anointed, who is appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that through his name everyone who believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. They of the circumcision who believed were amazed, as many as came with Peter. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was also poured out on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in other languages and magnifying God. Then Peter said, Can anyone forbid these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just like us. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, Then they asked him to stay some days. I just love Cornelius' faith. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't one of God's chosen people, the Israelites. And yet, he knew God better than many of God's own people did. He had faith so strong that he recognized the angel of the Lord who appeared to him, and he did exactly what he was told. He sent to Joppa for the man named Simon, who is called Peter. And when Peter arrived, he found a large crowd gathered and waiting for him. And Cornelius said to him in verses thirty and thirty to thirty-three, "Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard, and your gifts to the needy are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and summon Simon, who is also called Peter." He is staying in the house of a tanner named Simon by the seaside. When he comes, he will speak to you. Therefore I sent to you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now therefore, we are all here present in the sight of God to hear all things that have been commanded you by God. I got goosebumps when I read that last sentence while I was preparing this talk because it just blew my mind how direct this man's faith was. How powerful. He said, God told me to send for you, so I did so at once. Now here we are waiting on God, waiting on what God has commanded you to tell us. Cornelius had no doubt that Peter was from God and had no doubt that the words he was about to share were the Lord's own words. And the proof of that is that they all believed and the Holy Spirit came on all who heard Peter's words astounding the circumcised believers who had travelled with Peter. And what stands out most to me about Cornelius's faith is that he had faith like a child. Now, I don't mean at all having a childish faith. When I think of the word childish, I think of petulant, immature, whiny, you know, all the negative things. But when I say faith like a child, I mean the positives. When children are young, they have faith that what they're being told by their parents is true, and they accept it as the way the world is. They are teachable, much more teachable than adults most of the time. As we grow up, we start to question everything. Some of us get very skeptical and somewhat cynical. No answer is accepted without a lot of proof to back it up, especially if we don't like the answer. If we don't like it, then we want even more proof to back up why we should listen. We're even more skeptical about what we're being told. And unfortunately, we can take that into our faith. When we read the Bible and we come across something that makes us uncomfortable, sadly one of the first responses is to try to find a way to change the meaning. We often try to talk ourselves out of what it means so that we don't have to change our lives. Oh, that passage doesn't really apply because it was written 2,000 years ago. Modern culture teaches us that we should be doing this instead. And yes, there are a lot of cultural differences that need to be considered as we read the Bible. Understanding the culture it was written to will help us understand it better. Some things in Scripture don't apply to us because they were written to address specific cultural and social issues that we don't deal with today. When reading the Old Testament, particularly the purity laws that God gave Moses for the Israelites, by and large those are things we don't need to follow today. As such, we don't need to avoid bacon and lobster, and we're not sinning and unclean if we do eat it. Those laws to avoid things were specific laws to a specific people to display God's perfection and holiness by the perfection and holiness he expected of his people what the law did was demonstrate that no matter how hard anyone tried, they could never be perfect. It showed us how impossible it is to reach God's perfect standard. And after hundreds of years of living under that law, it should have been painfully obvious to the Israelites just how high a standard God had, and that all human effort would fall short, requiring sacrifices for sin again and again. And all that, so when Jesus came and he lived a perfect, sinless life, it was clear that what he did was impossible by human standards. The only way he could have lived a sinless life was if he and God were one. And when the perfect, sinless Jesus died on the cross, he was the ultimate sacrifice for sin, the final sacrifice. Every single sin ever committed can be forgiven and washed away through the blood Jesus shed. We just got to put our faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God. And then when we ask for forgiveness, when we repent of our sins, they will be forgiven. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. All those laws about purity no longer apply because they've served their purpose. They showed how impossible it was for us to satisfy God. And it showed our desperate need for a Saviour. Jesus, throughout his ministry, brought the focus back to the Ten Commandments, which still stand today. And if you want to know without a shadow of doubt what commands in the Bible apply to Christians of any period in history, the best place to go is Jesus' own words. The point is that yes, we need to read God's Word as the ultimate authority and read it with humility and an openness to learn and change our lives to suit it. But we also need to read it with care and an, and a desire to understand not just the words, but the context and culture. Because without that understanding, we can confuse what the Bible really means. If you want resources on how to study the Bible and understand the culture and context, you can head to www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash resources. I have a list of books there which can help on the topic. But back to today's passage. God tells Peter not to call anything impure that God has made clean. And specifically here God is referring to the Gentiles who were seen as an impure people by Jews. Gentiles weren't allowed to worship in the temple and they had to stay in the outer court because they were unclean. There were paths they could take to be indoctrinated into the Jewish society, um, just being circumcised, and there were a number of things they had to do. But by and large, Gentiles were not God's chosen people, and so they were unclean. And so when we're reading the Old Testament, we need to look at it through the lens of the New Testament and through Jesus' commandments, which he gave plenty there's more than enough to go on. The Old Testament points to Christ, and the New Testament demonstrates how Christ lived and how we should live by following his example. Anything that Jesus taught applies through the ages. So my point is this. When we're reading the Bible, especially Jesus' commands, and we're challenged in how we live and how we think, our first response should be to listen, to say, "Okay, God, I'll do that. However, often our response is to find a way out of following God's commands. And that's a very adult way of thinking about things. Question everything, even God's word. Jesus had an interesting response to the disciples when they were arguing about who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 18, verses 1-4 to in the World English Bible. In that hour, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to himself and set him in the middle of them, and said, Most certainly I tell you, unless you turn and become as little children, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us that we need to become like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. He tells us that we need to take the lowly position of a child to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we need to be humble and teachable and understand who has authority, our Father, God. So when we read God's word, we need to read it with the understanding that we're reading God's word. We're reading Our father's instructions to us. As a kid, when our dad told us not to do something, that was it. We knew we weren't supposed to do that. We might not have listened. I certainly didn't listen a lot of the time. But I knew I wasn't supposed to. And I also knew that he would discipline me if I didn't. When we approach God's Word, we need to be humble and teachable. And our first response to uncomfortable passages shouldn't be, I need to find out why that doesn't apply to me. Rather, it should be, God says do this, I need to do this. Now, I'm strictly talking about taking this attitude to God's word. I'm not saying that you should just accept what any pastor or Christian author, leader, podcaster tells you. No, you need to take what I say and compare it with scripture. Make sure what I'm saying is accurate. Only when we read God's word should we have utter humility and teachability. Don't approach it seeing how you can make it fit your life. Approach it seeing how you can make your life fit it. That's the reason Cornelius' faith gave me goosebumps. Because he took God's word and he didn't question it. He took it so seriously that he gathered all his friends and family with him and waited patiently for Peter, whom he knew would arrive soon because God had told him he would. And when Peter arrived, even though much of what Peter would say probably made them uncomfortable, and they knew they had a lot of work to do in their lives, they accepted his word with joy. They were teachable. They were humble. So this week, my challenge is one that builds off last week's, which was to open the Bible with reverence for God. Now I want to add this challenge. When we sit down to read the Bible, read it with humility and a willingness to learn. Approach it with a desire to change our lives to suit the Bible, rather than to try to change the Bible to suit our lives. When we pick up the Bible, let's have the same mindset we did as little children when we asked our parents what to do. When they gave us an answer, we knew that was what we should do. Maybe we didn't always do it, but we knew what we should do, right? When we read the Bible, we should have the same mindset. When God gives us an answer in his word, do it. Sometimes we're far too quick to ignore what the Bible says because we think If it makes us uncomfortable, it can't be true. All too often we want the Bible to fit our cultures. But the thing is, it never will. It will always be counter-cultural, because culture is by and large a product of the world, not of God. Even God's chosen people, the Jews, had a culture that disgusted God. When Jesus came to earth, to Israel, he spent half his time flipping people's cult, his people's culture on its head and telling them they had completely ruined the commands his father, God, had given them. How God calls us to live will not be comfortable and easy, and the world will hate us for trying to live that way. But if our father told us to live that way, Let's trust that he knows what's best for his children, us. Thank you for joining me today on God's Word, Today's World. If you'd like to view the show notes or leave a comment, you can find the complete list of all podcast episodes over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Hope to see you next week. Now go apply God's Word to your life.